All right, anyways, we are in chapter 45 this evening, and the title of the teaching tonight is Family Restoration. Family Restoration, but also this restoration goes way beyond the family. It also goes into all of our relationships that we have with people around us. So most of you know, you've been coming for a while, we are just continuing through this study in Genesis, and for the last few months... We've been learning a lot about the life of Joseph. We started back in chapter 37, and we were reading about Joseph, right? He had this dream, right? We've heard it a couple of times about his family bowing down to him, right? In other words, to bring it into today's terms, he had this dream that his family was going to bow down to him. Okay, now you may say today the culture, what's the big deal, right? Even sometimes maybe an older brother works for a younger brother. We don't think too much about it. But in the culture at that time, a father and older brothers did not bow down to the younger brother. Okay, that was not the culture of the time. So there is an exception, because I know some of you are Bible students, and you go, I think there's something in the Bible. And there is an exception to this. Now, remember, this was cultural, But back in chapter 25, God stepped into the equation when he told Rebecca, if you remember, she had twins in her womb, and he tells her that the older will serve the younger. Okay, so that's just a reminder that when God steps into the equation, into the equation, he rules and reigns everything. But God will never... He will never contradict his word. But when he steps into the equation, anything is possible. Let me give you an example. You might go to the doctor, and they give you a diagnosis. And they start to tell you what is going to happen. But to God, when he moves, can completely change the outcome of what the doctor says. You see, just like with Joseph, which we'll read today, when God stepped in, anything is possible with our God. I really want you to understand that. Anything is possible. So back to our story with Joseph. Once he shares his dream with his brothers, we all know his life completely turned upside down. And as we've been reading through these trials, we have learned many applications and even lessons that we can apply to our lives today. I just want to encourage you, it is the first part of the year. So as we're thinking about things, even though the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, it is still relevant in every one of our experiences today. Contrary to what people may say, the Bible is not outdated. The Bible does not need to be rewritten to appease those, as Paul writing to Timothy would say, have itchy ears to hear what they want to hear to condone their sinful lifestyle. See, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, that heaven and earth will actually pass away. Peter says they will melt away, the earth and the works in it. But Jesus said, my word will never pass away. 
The word of God is perfect and it stands forever. And this is why we here at Calvary Chapel study the word of God together. Look at what Paul wrote. I'm going to put it on the screen starting in Romans. He says, such things were written in the scriptures, that'd be our Bible, long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. You see, everything we read in the word of God teaches us how to live a godly life in this fallen world. As we look at Joseph's life, we see God working behind the scenes. So when situations in our lives seem hopeless, church, be encouraged. Be encouraged that God is at work supernaturally bringing forth good from evil. And we have to remind ourselves, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. It's not what we see, but we walk by faith. So in that verse, Paul says that we are to wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled in our lives. In all of those promises are found in the word of God. That's where we find the promises of God. Peter, writing in his second epistle, says that his divine power, God's divine power has given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And the word of God is powerful. And that's why it is so important for us to be in the word of God on a regular basis. Kind of give you an example. Just like food is nourishment to our body, the word of God is nourishment to our spirit. It is nourishment to our spirit. If we don't eat, what happens? We starve. Our body starts to have hunger pains. But we never really think about this. But if we don't read the word of God, we are starving our spirit of spiritual food. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, he said, it is written. Now, many of you know this. Man shall not live by bread, right? By food alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, the word of God, it's essential to our lives. Jesus said in John 4.34, my food, and this should be an example for us as well, my food is to do the will of the Father. That should be us as well. That our desire and our will lines up with God's will for our lives. So this is just an encouragement. We just came through the holidays, right? A lot going on, a lot of busyness in life. And maybe you've just gotten a little off track with your devotional time with the Lord, right? It happens, right? We go through seasons. It's nothing to be condemned about. It happens to all of us. And just remember, there's no perfect Christian. There's no perfect Christian. I would just encourage you tonight 
just to get back into a routine of reading and meditating on God's word on a regular basis. Paul would say in Romans 12 that we are to renew our minds right, with the word of God, that we may know his perfect and complete will. We hear a lot, people know, what is the will of God's life for me? The will is found right here. We find the will for our lives in the scriptures, in the word of God. Now, before we took the break for three weeks, we had Pastor Rick sharing with us the revelation of Joseph. And that was the first four verses of chapter 45. And it's been about a month since we've been together. So sometimes we kind of forget a little bit. So we're going to just kind of start from the first verse because it flows right along in chapter 45. So let's read these verses again. So Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. The emotions of Joseph was feeling were just so overwhelming to him to the point he cries out just asking his servants to leave his presence. See, he wanted to be completely alone with his brothers as he made himself known to them. Truly, this is like the dramatic conclusion, right, as we've been going through this to this story that we've been reading about Joseph. And and it's interesting because I know a few of you out there have been asking, like, are we going to get to the conclusion? When are we going to get to the revelation? Because many of you are students of the scriptures, right? You kind of know what's coming. So it's like we're getting to that point. We're finally to that point. And it just reminded me. It's kind of like watching the movie. I'll take it a step further. Guys, close your ears. A love story. Right? A love story. Yes, guys, I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes it's just good to go ahead and watch the love story. Sometimes it's just good to do that. Take one for the team. Get some points for that but you know what's going to happen when you're watching this love story. You're like, a, you're a third of the way through. You don't even get to half. You're a third of the way through and you're like, okay, I already know how it's going to end, right? Can we just like get to the end? Can we just fast forward this thing and get it to the end? I think for some of us, like we've been just waiting, right? Let's just get to this, where this revel, we know it's coming. They're taking these trips back and forth. So here we are, we're talking about it. So back to our passage. Let's not forget though, that we know what's going to happen, but his brothers, they had no idea the one who had been supplying their provision was their very own brother. They had no idea. Verse three, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. 
can imagine their eyes, right? Just bright as could be. See, once Joseph revealed himself, very interesting. Notice the next thing that he says. Is my father still living? Like you can just see the emotions of Joseph. He hadn't seen his fathers in many years. And he just, he couldn't stand it anymore. Right? Remember, he's had, he's seen his brothers multiple times. And he's been wondering this whole time, is my father still alive? He wanted to know, will I ever see my father again? Would I have the opportunity, just think of the culture at that time, just to embrace my father's neck and just hold him one more time? That was the emotion that Joseph was feeling. We must remember, too, that Joseph had a very special relationship with his father. We read back in Genesis 37, I put it up on the screen for you. It said, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Joseph had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, or some translations would say a robe of many colors. But his brothers, catch this, hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So here we see, because Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons, they hated him. And they couldn't even speak kindly to him. Now, sure, Telling his brothers about the dream, right, that did not gain him any favor. But the hatred that they had for him, it actually started with the favoritism their father had for Joseph. And because of this, Joseph ends up in slavery in Egypt. But God, right? But God had a plan in all of this. This is just one example that we see in the Bible where God takes the failure of men and he uses it for his glory. He takes the failure of these brothers and he uses it for his glory. See, God's ways, we know this, right? God's ways are not our ways, right? He will take our mess and turn it into a message, he uses one man who's, who was sold into slavery, think about this, to save an entire nation. One man in slavery saves an entire nation. And I'll take it a step farther, which ultimately leads to our salvation today. See, God takes our failures, our mess, our ashes, and turns them into a crown of beauty. Look at what Isaiah said, Isaiah 61. He said, to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Now notice here in this passage, we see for the righteous. 
You, may, you may be thinking, like, uh, I don't know about if I'm righteous or not. Did you know you are righteous? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him, this was Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen? God sees us righteous because of Jesus. See, so we see for the righteous, God takes their mourning and despair and transforms them into a blessing, also called a crown, to offer back to him. Now, it's very interesting. These words, crown of beauty for ashes, it's a little hard to translate this into English, but the original language, it means that God is going to wipe away the ashes on our head and replace them with a beautiful crown. He wipes that away, our mess, and he replaces it with a beautiful crown. See, God even takes our mistakes, like Jacob, giving favoritism to Joseph, right? Causing division in the family to fulfill his purposes. But there is a caution. I want to point this out tonight. It's very important for all parents this evening and even step-parents. We need to make sure that we love and treat our children equally. I was actually just talking today with one of our youth pastors who was just ministering to a young person and this was his struggle. Favoritism in the family. Just like Joseph's brothers, your kids will know when there's favoritism toward a sibling. They know when that happens. And this can have long-lasting effects on your children. All right, back to Joseph. The day his father sent him out to check on his brothers in the field, remember, Joseph had no idea that he would not return to see his father. To him, it was just another normal day. Father sent me out. I'm going to check on my brothers and I'll come back home. But it just reminds us we are never guaranteed tomorrow. And for Joseph, after all these years had passed, Joseph had a great desire to see his father again. Now we come to a truly an incredible passage of scripture. And just for a moment, just imagine yourself as Joseph in this story. Everything that he went through, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused of adultery. Let me just say, would you, would I be able to say what Joseph says? Verse five. And now... Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me there because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there'll be no more plowing or reaping. But God, there we go. 
but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now, if you write, if you circle, if you highlight, I would highlight this next verse. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. If you think about it, who, who sent him there? The brothers actually physically sent him there. But Joseph said, it wasn't you. It was God that sent me there. He made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. So right after Joseph tells his brothers who he is, right? And they get over the shock, as you can imagine. He calms their hearts. He can just imagine probably the fear that they may have. We just read, right, that they were terrified in his presence. And remember the position that Joseph was in? All he had to do was say the word. He could just say revenge. They had all been killed just like that. Yes, he, he had all the right to be angry with them. We would all agree with that. Absolutely especially for everything that they'd done to him. But that's not what Joseph did. This is just amazing when you think about it. Instead, he gave them grace. Joseph gives them grace. I was thinking about that. Does that sound like someone else we know? His name is Jesus. We have sinned against Jesus right, over and over again. Over time, right, less and less, that's the goal. But we've sinned over and over again. Yet, he gives us grace. And his grace, praise the Lord, is unlimited grace. If it wasn't for the grace of God, where would we be tonight? We wouldn't be here. Where would we be? Lost confused, but the grace of God. I heard a story. Sound like Pastor Dave? Heard a story about a young boy. He goes to his pastor and he says, Pastor, I want to get baptized. Well, the pastor says, okay, why don't you tell me about your salvation experience? You got to be saved before you can be baptized. He says, he looks at the pastor and he says, Well, I did my part and God did his part. Okay. Pastor's kind of scratching his head. He says, What do you mean by that? He looks at the pastor and says, Well, I did the sinning and he did the saving. <laughs> I did my part and he did his part. And it's just an example that is the grace of God, right? We do the sinning, and he is the Savior. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. But when you think about this, how could Joseph, right, a mere man just like you and me, how could he give them such grace? This is kind of confounding when you think about it. How could he do that? See, God gave Joseph the ability. This is truly the key. 
to view the situation through a spiritual lens. See, when we step back from the situation, from the circumstance that we're in, and ask God for his eternal perspective, right? Remembering, like, God is sovereign. He's in control of all things, right? Like we read tonight, in him all things consist. He's the one that holds it all together. So when we step back and we ask God for his perspective, we can truly have hope and peace in the midst of any trial. Look at this quote by uh, Adrian Rogers, uh, just a wonderful uh, teacher of the word of God. He says, peace is an inner contentment that is not dependent on outward circumstances. That is the peace of God. God's faithfulness and peace surpasses every earthly circumstance. Just kind of let that just settle. God's faithfulness, right? We heard about that a few weekends ago from Pastor David. God's faithfulness to us, right? Even when we're faithless, God is faithful. See, God's ways of doing things, right? They're not our ways. That's what Isaiah 55 says. His thoughts, they're not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And often, when God does something in our lives, it doesn't line up with how we think things should have happened. Would you agree? Most of the time, we're thinking, okay, God, what is going on here? We're looking for the easy way out. But God is looking at the big picture. God is looking to see how he can get his will done on earth through you and me. That's what God's trying to do. Get his will done on earth through you and me. See, we pray it all the time. And many of you, you could quote it with me. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed by thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? We pray it, we read it, we pray for his will to be done on earth, yet when unfavorable conditions come our way, right, we start to get uncomfortable and we lose our peace. Why? Because our focus is on the situation instead of on our God. Hebrews 12, 2 says that we are to keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. See, fixed, that word fixed here means to direct one's attention without distraction. See, the circumstances of this world should not distract us from fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, the mess that Joseph's brothers orchestrated by selling him into slavery, and then you think about all the distress that they put their father through by telling him that Joseph was devoured by a wild beast. 
God still used for his glory. Just look back here at verse 5 in the text. Verse 5. See, the key is Joseph was seeing his circumstances through God's perspective. Even though his brother sold him into slavery, and from all appearances, it looked like a terrible situation, Joseph could see God at work in his life. See, God sent him ahead of his brothers to save their lives. How ironic is that? They're sending him away, but God's plan was to use him to save their lives. And we see here, we just read, there's still five more years of famine to come. Their chances of survival, pretty slim. Five more years. What if God hadn't sent Joseph ahead of his brothers? What would have happened to the Israelites? And again, where would we be tonight if they were completely destroyed? But God. See, God is in control of every detail of our lives, even when we don't see it. God is at work behind the scenes. Actually, let's read verse 7 one more time. It says, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant, keep that in mind, on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. You see, God always has a remnant, always has for himself. But we may think a little bit like, what exactly does that mean though, right? It's not a word that we use often. What does that mean? So let me just... I'm going to just read it to you. This is the Vines Expository Dictionary. Just to keep it simple, I'll read it. It says, the idea of the remnant plays a prominent part in the divine economy of salvation throughout the Old Testament. The remnant concept is applied especially to those Israelites who survived such calamities as war, pestilence, and famine. People whom the Lord, listen to this, in his mercy spared to be his chosen people. In his mercy. See, God used Joseph to preserve this remnant. Did he do this because they deserved it? Absolutely not. He did it. He preserved them because he had mercy on them. And God also gives us mercy and grace today. You see, if you think about this, how God is into every detail, through this remnant, there is the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Through the nation that was spared, that's where the lineage of Jesus comes from. And we are spared of the wrath of God to come to this earth, right? Due to sin, because of the grace that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says, for by grace we have been saved. It's only by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not a gift of your, it's not of yourself, it's a gift of God. We're all saved by the grace of God. 
Back to our text, verse 9. It says, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have, verse 11, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so, many brother, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. See, Joseph instructs his brothers to hurry back. Hurry back and tell their father about all of the honor and the glory that has been given to him in the land of Egypt. And as we will read shortly, as we wrap up tonight, this would be a complete shock, right, to Jacob as he had already mourned the death of his son. I mean, how could this be, right? My son is already dead. And this is just another example in the Bible how God works in mysterious ways in our lives. Just when we think we know how God is going to answer our prayer, how he's going to go before us, he does something totally different. Because his ways of doing things, they're not our ways. In his power, it's unlimited. Psalm 50, verse 10, says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, God is the creator of all things. He owns everything. So nothing is impossible with him. And the blessings continue. Joseph invites the entire family to move near him to the land of Goshen where they will receive provision and protection. Verse 14. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Here again, we see like just the emotions of Joseph as he first, he embraces his brother, Benjamin, right? He wraps his arms around his neck and he weeps with him. So we have to remember, Joseph had a special bond with Benjamin just to remind you that they had the same mother, Rachel, and she actually died when she was giving birth to Benjamin but they had this special relationship. And after that, he kissed and he wept, all, wept with all of his brothers. Right? But don't miss this. This is an important thing that we see here. Signifying restoration with them. He was able to forgive his brothers because he was seeing the circumstances through God's perspective. Remember what he said. Have it on the screen just to remind us. 
says, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourself for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve your lives. You see, Joseph was saying to his brothers, you didn't send me to Egypt. Maybe physically, but you're not really the one that sent me there. God sent me ahead of you to save your lives. I was thinking about this. I wonder how many relationships could be restored if we viewed them through God's eternal perspective. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3.12, if anyone has a complaint against another, anyone, that's all of us, right? Anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Do we deserve to be forgiven by Christ? No. Romans tells us that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. He died. We are forgiven by grace alone. Therefore, we also are to forgive and to be graceful with others who have wronged us. Remember, Joseph was treated extremely poorly, yet he was able to take his eyes off of his trial and see where God was working in his life. See, one of the biggest issues that we have in life, including myself, I'm talking to myself here. You might think this is funny, but we can't stop thinking about ourselves. We truly can't stop thinking. It's human nature, right? Everything is about us. I'll prove it to you. When someone shows you a picture of 25 people, where do you look, right? We're looking for ourselves, right? That's just human nature, though. It's human nature. God's wisdom always provides the clearest perspective. God's wisdom always provides the clearest perspective. Even when things look unfavorable, look to see where God is at work. This is where it gets a little real. If you didn't get the job you wanted, if you didn't get the spouse you desired, it's because God is sovereign and he knows what is best for you, church. God knows tomorrow. He already knows what's coming. And we can rest knowing that God has something better for you. Psalm 84.11 says that God withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 84.11. Church, he withholds no good thing from his children. I have a quote for you. This is actually from Chuck Smith, founder of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. 
but this is really powerful. Sometimes our greatest disappointments are God's divine appointments. Powerful statement. Our greatest disappointments are God's divine appointments, right? He's redirecting our steps. We thought this is what was going to happen, and God says, no, I'm going this way because I know what is best for you, my child. Verse 16. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. Verse 19, you are also directed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all of Egypt will be yours. So as the news reached Pharaoh, he affirmed all that Joseph had said to his brothers, promising the best of the land in Egypt. And just amazing how God works. He also provides carts, or back then we call them wagons, for them to transport their families to Egypt. Verse 21. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. See here, we must remember that they were about to starve to death before the favor of the Lord came upon them. Truly, I was thinking about this. This is like, this story is like better than any five-star movie. It's incredible when you see what God does. Just think about it. It's a famine, Pharaoh gives them the best of the land in Egypt? Like, who can do that, you know? And he gives them a way to transport all of their family. They're also best blessed with food, clothing, food, abundant provisions for their journey back home. Only God can do that. That's the God that we serve. Here they are about to starve to death. And then look what God does. This is just an example of Ephesians 3.20, of God doing exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask or think. And you know, church, he did it back then and he still does it today. He does the same for you and me today. He does more than we can ever think or imagine. Verse 24, then he sent his brothers away and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. Kind of wonder, why would he say this, right? Don't quarrel. Don't argue on the way back. Well, if we think about it, we all have the tendency to replay the grievance in our mind, right? Back and forth, back and forth, right? Even after restoration, we didn't let it go. We keep, and he can just envision his brothers on the journey back home, right? Well, back and forth. You got us into this pickle. Well, no, you threw him into a pit. Well, no, you sold him into slavery. Right? Joseph is saying, no, don't be doing any of that. 
right? You're forgiven. This is settled. Do not be arguing on the way back. Forget the things which are behind, right? And just press forward in the grace that has been given to you. Press forward to the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. Verse 25. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned, and he did not believe them. Right? Of course, right? Joseph didn't believe him. He thought his son was dead. And if you remember, to cover up the act of selling him into slavery, they took his robe, dipped it in the blood of a goat, right? And then they take it back to their father and say, oh, it looks like a wild animal tore him to pieces, right? So why would Joseph believe that he was alive. Verse 27 and 28. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when they saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. That's a beautiful passage. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. I will go see my son. See, the news that his son was alive, it just absolutely revived his spirit, right? This was his son, Benjamin. It's like, my son, Benjamin, is still alive. The one I gave the beautiful robe to, he's still alive. And even in his old age, right, he desired to make this trip back, right? So he could just lay his eyes on his son. Can you just imagine this reunion between a father and a son, and just to wrap his arms around his neck. Just the thought of this. Jacob was just so excited. Just the thought of that. Just to see my son one more time before I die. Our text of this evening talks about physical life. But what about our spiritual life? See, our spiritual life is dead until we accept the gift of salvation that only comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So as we close tonight, I, I was just thinking about this. I don't, God gave it to me. I don't know why. That the angels in heaven rejoice, right, over one sinner that repents. The angels rejoice. And I'll just say, I think that is a word for somebody in here tonight. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you're not spiritually alive this evening, I'm just going to invite you to come down at the end of service just to talk, just to share. So just to remind you, next week is prayer week. We will be back in the book of Genesis in two weeks, talking about the journey back to Egypt. Father, we just thank you for tonight that we have just opened up the living and the powerful word of God. We just pray that it would just penetrate our hearts, God, and help those maybe who need to restore a relationship. Lord, we know that nothing is impossible with you. Your power is unlimited. I just pray over everyone tonight that they would be encouraged by the spirit of God. May you just bless them and keep them. May your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God bless you all. See you this weekend.